Ladies and gentlemen, you cannot impart that which you do not possess unless the Word of God is alive in your heart and you are practicing it with the people of God. You will never be able to bring those children up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. You will give them a form of Christianity. You will inoculate them with a mild case of Christianity, but you will keep them from getting the real disease. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We've begun a study in the book of 2 Timothy, this epistle from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, the pastor of the church at Lystra, starts out with a greeting to both Timothy and his mother and grandmother, a reminder of Paul's prayers for Timothy, and an expression of joy over Timothy's commitment to Christ and to the gospel. Let's rejoin Pastor Carl now as he reads from 2 Timothy 1, verse 2, and then we'll look at why Paul considered Timothy his child in the faith. Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. And for this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Now notice here in verse 2, Paul calls Timothy, my beloved son. Or if you have the New American Standard with marginal notes, it gives you the literal rendering in the Greek, literally, my beloved child. He uses very similar words when he writes to Timothy in his first letter. He says to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Now let's think for just a few, few moments about Timothy to whom Paul writes. We know quite a bit about Timothy from the rest of Scripture. In fact, you can really divide his life into his youth, his conversion, and his commissioning. And we first learn of Timothy in the Bible in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 16. Right at the start of the second missionary journey, we are told, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. His home was in Lystra, one of the four Galatian cities that Paul visited on both his first and second missionary journeys. And Timothy, we learn in this verse, was a product of a mixed marriage in that his father was a Greek and his mother was a Jewish. Now, we learn from verse 5 of our text that her name was Eunice, and his, her gram, his grandmother's name was Lois. And they were both godly women said to be of a sincere faith. Long before Timothy and these two women had received Christ as their personal Savior, they were God-fearers of the Old Testament, and they had taught Timothy in the Scriptures so that Paul could say of Timothy in the third chapter, from your childhood you have known the sacred writing. How did he know it? from his Jewish grandmother and his Jewish mother who taught him. I like the way John Calvin describes Timothy's 
upbringing, when he writes in his commentary, Timothy sucked in godliness along with his mother's milk. (laughs) And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. His father was a Greek, and by Paul's form of statement, an unbeliever, but his mother Eunice here had become a Christian, a completed Jew. And so by the time Paul visits them, now on his second missionary journey, a few years later, Acts 16.1 describes Timothy, or her as a, uh, as a believer, and Timothy as a disciple. So Timothy, Eunice, and Lois are all believers. It appears that when Paul first came to Lystra, he came to the city, preached the gospel, and all three of them are amongst that group that are described there in Acts 14. Timothy, we know for certain, owes his conversion to the Apostle Paul. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he could write to them with these words, my beloved children. Why did he call them beloved children? Because Paul was the first one to preach the gospel to these folks. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so since he was the human agent in Timothy's conversion, he can likewise tell the Corinthians of my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. Now that's a telling statement. He's called here a faithful child, a faithful brother, a faithful servant, a faithful pastor. He was a man Paul could count on. Thank God we need some men that can be counted on. Likewise, he's already referred to him in his first letter, my true child and the faith. Now, that's another very interesting designation, my true child and the faith. Now, the Greek word true, genesios, was used to describe a legitimate child, a child was born within lawful wedlock. And Paul could refer to Timothy in a spiritual sense in that way because he was absolutely certain of Timothy's spiritual pedigree and abiding loyalty. You know, there are some people who come to this church, I know they're not saved. I mean, it's not a mystery. They'll tell me they're not saved. Some who live in adultery, some who regularly use alcohol and drugs, even on occasion, some who practice homosexuality. But then there's a great number who profess to know Christ. And as their pastor, I, with some of them, really hope they are saved. I mean, I know they know all the right words. Outwardly, they've given the right confession of faith. They have the right theology. They are fundamental in their truth and belief of Scripture. But may I remind you that the devil's theology is fundamental and orthodox. Repeatedly through the Scriptures, we find salt and peppered statements by demons themselves. Thou art the Holy One of God. You are the Son of God. The devil's theology is good. It was Donald Barnhouse who said so wisely, there will be enough fundamentalists in hell to start a fundamentalist convention. Listen, you can know all the right things, but if it has never touched your heart and changed your life, you are still dead in your sin. But with some people, I mean, you just know as a pastor, as Paul knew with Timothy, they had the genuine item. He is my true child. Timothy had been Paul's trusted companion, his apostolic delegate there at Ephesus. And for over a dozen years, these two men had ministered together. So here is Timothy, Paul's faithful son, his true son. And here in this morning's text, he's called Timothy, my beloved son. 
Again, Timothy was led to faith through Paul. Timothy's father, as we've noted, was an unbelieving Greek, but his spiritual father was Paul himself. So Paul calls him my beloved son because it was the common Christian faith that they shared that united them. And that's what unites us today. We are beloved of one another. We love each other. We are from every kind of conceivable background and economic level. But God has made us here at Community Bible Church a family. Why? Because when you're born from above, the love of the Holy Spirit is poured out into your hearts. Paul had begotten Timothy and the faith. He was his spiritual father. And so Timothy was his son. And of all the people that Paul led to Christ, Timothy was especially dear to him. You know, there are people like that sometimes that you introduce to the Savior who are just especially dear to you because of their sincere love for the Lord Jesus. When Paul wrote the church at Philippi, he said, For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, but not those of Christ Jesus. Timothy was that man that he's describing. And Timothy had made such spiritual progress in just two years after Paul introduced him to the Savior. We read in Acts 16.2, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. He had made such tremendous strides in his Christian faith, though at this time only a few years old in Christ, he was well known in the neighboring town of Iconium. And so to this faithful, true, and beloved son, he sends greetings, grace, peace, and mer grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is reminding Timothy of God's grace, mercy, and peace that are available to him through God the Father and through Christ Jesus. Now, you probably know that grace and peace was a customary greeting in the first century. And here, of course, Paul adds to it mercy. But while to some extent it was indeed a customary greeting, this is not mere verbiage. This is not filler. He is writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, and every single word in this book was penned by dual authorship, not just by the Apostle Paul, but the Spirit of God behind him. Grace, mercy, and peace. Timothy, you're going to need grace to carry out the ministry that God has called you to carry out as a pastor. When he would be tempted to feel weak or inadequate, then he would need God's mercy to sustain him. And when he would find himself as a pastor in the midst of conflict, as pastors so often do with those who oppose you, he would be able to have the peace that would go beyond all comprehension, that would garrison his heart in Christ Jesus. Timothy needed this message and the people of Community Bible Church need it today. Now remember, Timothy was called under very difficult circumstances. Remember what this fellow was like and what he was facing here in this first century church. He finds himself under very heavy responsibility. Now, he had been with mission, on mission trips with Paul before. We read of his trips in Thessalonica and Corinth. But now he has been given a permanent place of leadership and the church at Ephesus. And unlike in his first letter where Paul promises to come to him soon, this time death is so imminent that Paul, as he writes in the shadow of execution, he's inviting Timothy to come and to see him one more time before he goes home to be with the Lord in this letter and then maybe face to face. 
He wants to put some spiritual steel on this man's spine to encourage him to press on. So these are the circumstances under which he writes, but we must never forget what Timothy was like. With Paul's death imminent, heavy burdens were about to fall on this man's shoulders. Timothy was being thrust into a position of leadership that was far beyond his years. And it was to be his responsibility to preserve the faith given to the saints and to protect it from corruption. And as we study this epistle, we're going to discover that Paul's main purpose for writing Timothy, this young pastor, is to encourage him to be faithful in his post. His job was to continue to counteract the false teaching that had come. I know how Paul feels because I've seen many a pastor who started well but didn't finish well. They sputtered out either midway or towards the end. And so he wants to put some steel in this beloved disciple to stay faithful. He will say to him in this second letter, retain the standard of sound words. He will tell Timothy, guard the treasure which has been entrusted to you. That is, guard this body of truth, in particular the gospel. Hold to it firm against all these false teachers. Maintain the sound doctrine, and in particular the gospel. In essence, he says to him, preach the word. That was Timothy's charge. Yet humanly speaking, Timothy was hopelessly unfit for the task that God had given him through this apostle. For one thing, Timothy was still comparatively young in a society that celebrated age. If you remember from our first letter, we learned that Timothy was young. That's why Paul said, let no one look down on your youthfulness. And in this letter, written a couple of years later, he says, now flee from youthful lusts. Now, we don't know his precise age. If he had been around 20 years old when he went on the second missionary journey, then he would be in his mid-30s now. In, in either case, he is described as youthful. And in the Roman and Greek world, when they described adults, they used just one of two words, neos or geron, young or old. And the first term is not used like we might refer to a little boy in his youth. No, it was used of an adult who is in the full vigor of life, typically of a soldier who is serving actively in the army under the age of 40. So we know by his choice of words that Timothy is still 40 or under in the responsibilities that he had been given here as a young preacher. But not only was he young, he was weak physically. In his letter, his first letter, if you remember, he wrote of his frequent ailments. In fact, he suggested a tonic, a little wine added to the water. He had some kind of gastrointestinal problem. In addition, by temperament, this man was timid. He was naturally shy. He wouldn't fit the common stereotype that we have of a Christian leader today. If he lived in our day, we would dub him as an introvert. And so here's a man who, when in a confrontational setting, his tendency, as we learned in the first letter, was to be prone to run. And so when Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he tries to pave the way to prepare Timothy's coming. He said, and if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do, so let no one despise him. And as we're going to see in this letter, four times over, Paul will exhort him to take his share of 
suffering, not to be afraid, not to be ashamed, since God has not given us a spirit of timidity. And so in this letter, as in the last, he's going to encourage Timothy to exercise his authority because he knew that he was shy and diffident in doing so. This, then, is the recipient of the letter. Timothy, young in years, timid in, timid in disposition, frail in his physique, yet this was a man who was called to be a key leader in the first century church. Greatness was put upon this man, and like Moses and Jeremiah and others, he tended to shy away from it. Can anyone identify this morning with Timothy? Young, weak, shy, and you ask, can God use a person like this? The answer is yes, because your answer is found in Timothy. And he has a special message to Timothy and to all of the Timothys of our day. To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. The message of this letter all concerns the grace, mercy, and peace that are needed to function properly, only available through the one source, God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Knowing the circumstances that he would face, this was not just some kind of conventional greeting. These words are pregnant with theological meaning. Grace is God's love to the worthless. Mercy is God's help to the helpless. That's how the New Testament often uses it. Remember the Good Samaritan who is absolutely, he met a man who was absolutely helpless there on the Damascus Road. Remember the man who owed a debt so great to that king he could never pay it and the king gave him mercy. And even Paul, a Jewish man converted to Christ but one who once persecuted the church, who hated the name of Christ, he wrote to Timothy in his first letter, I received mercy mercy. And then he mentions here peace, which is tranquility to the restless. In the midst of hardship and the midst of difficult circumstances, there is grace to the worthless, there is mercy to the helpless, and there is peace to the restless. And it all comes through Christ Jesus our Lord and available not just to this man, but to each of us here today. So this then is Timothy, Paul's beloved son. And what follows in the paragraph, in the verses that follow, are four key principles that God used to make him the man of God that he was. And if you're listening today, God has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. How does God make a man or a woman of God? How will you become the person that God has destined for you to become. Pay close attention because what God did in Timothy's day, he does in our day. And he gives us here four key factors that shaped Timothy's life. First, Timothy was shaped by his family. We read here in verse 5, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and I am sure that is in you as well. Now, Paul again refers both to his mother and grandmother because he knows that every person, to the large extent, is a product of his family. Good biographies never begin with the subject alone. They always begin with the, the parents or quite often the grandparents. Now, while it is true that you do not inherit your parents' faith in the same way that you inherit their physical traits or personality traits, a child nonetheless can be led to faith by his parents' teaching, example, and prayers. And so 
a godly home is a most powerful influence. I find it rather interesting to think about Timothy's home because Timothy's father was a pagan. He was an unbeliever, and yet his mother was a God-fearing Jew who became a completed Christian. Notice again Acts 16.1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Now, Timothy was the product of a mixed marriage in that his father was a Greek and his mother was Jewish. And we learn from this letter that her name was Eunice and his grandmother's name was Lois. And they were both godly women such that he says they are of a sincere faith. Now, don't forget, his father was a Greek. And by the way, Paul frames this verse, an unbeliever. But Eunice had become a Christian. In addition, we're told in verse 3 of this chapter, Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, this verse in particular gives me some great, a great hint about what happened in this home. Now, as you know, in the Old Testament, circumcision was an outward rite. It was a blood sign by which God had established between the nation Israel and himself that they were his covenant people. And of course, at this point in the church, uh, the church had already very clearly stated in the Jerusalem Council, Acts 15, that circumcision does nothing in terms of making you right with God. It was just an outward sign, much like baptism is today. Some people plead their baptism as if their baptism would save them, as if their baptism would make them right and pleasing and holy before God. And it will not, it cannot, it does not. But Paul recognized that he might be all things to all men, that Timothy needed to be circumcised so that when they went into places like Jewish synagogues, he as a half Jew, half Gentile would not be an offense to keep those people from hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But this verse gives me a hint about why Jew, Eunice, a Jew, Timothy's mother, was married to an unbelieving Greek. Now, God in both testaments forbids the marriage of a believer to an unbeliever. A Christian is never to marry a non-Christian. God is crystal clear. But Eunice obviously was not practicing her faith when she got married. I know that because had she been walking with God, then she would have circumcised Timothy according to the law on the eighth day as God prescribed which means that she was married either as a Jewish unbeliever, that is a Jew ethically, but not religiously, or she was a Jew and had even practiced Judaism at one time, but was just out of fellowship with the living God. In either case, when this baby was born, it probably stirred her heart to go back to her mother's teaching, and from childhood, she began to teach Timothy the Scriptures. By the way, that is a reason why many come to this church. When I ask them, well, you know, what moved you to come to Community Bible Church? Well, you know, we started having kids. And they're growing up and they're asking us questions about God. and We don't know what to say. and We feel like, you know, this is an important thing that somehow, you know, we, we need to teach them something about the Lord God. Well, that's probably what happened in Eunice's heart, Timothy's mother. And before her, his grandmother Lois who had obviously been converted at the same missionary trip, 
also worked in this man's heart. So he speaks here, for I am mindful of the sincere faith. First in your grandmother, uh, Lois, then in Eunice, and then in you as well. And I suspect that they were all saved probably on the same day. But even before his conversion to Jesus, he's about 20 when he's saved, maybe 18. All of those years, his parents had nurtured him in the faith of the Old Testament. So from childhood, he learned the sacred writing. Parents, God has given you an incredible job to do. It involves teaching your children and leading them to Christ. And it starts the moment they're conceived. I mean, the moment they're conceived, you ought to begin to pray for those children. You know, some of the kids who ought to be in here this morning are out there in Sunday school. And parents, they shouldn't be out there. If they're old enough to hear the word of God, don't send them to two Sunday school hours. They need to be in here. Paul assumed, he assumed that children would be in the services such that when he wrote the church at Ephesus, he directly addresses the children. Children, obey your parents. And yet churches all across America are segregating children from their parents. Listen, I meet five-year-old kids who started in this church at five, and by the time they are 10, they know a wealth of Scripture and know the Lord more importantly. Yes, it starts slow, but if you will build into their hearts, their lives will be changed. Now, understand it is not principally this church's responsibility to bring up your children in the Lord. That's your responsibility. Now, I am here to help you as your pastor to faithfully teach you and instruct you from the Scriptures that out of the overflow of your own walk with Christ in those other 164 hours of the week that you have them, that you'll be able to build into their lives. Recently, a lady called me who wanted me to provide a mentor for her 16-year-old son who was giving her a fit. Of course, I'm happy to help people when I can, but I know this woman to be a Christian, but a Christian who's out of fellowship with God. And though she's not a member of this church or any church, though the New Testament teaches that she ought to be, she would probably claim this church as her church home and me as her pastor. And I told her just as lovingly and as honestly as I could because God tells me not to soft sell the message, but to speak the truth in love. I said, how can you expect your 16-year-old son to have a passionate love for Jesus Christ when you don't? I can count on one hand the number of times she comes to this church in the course of a year. Oh, she said, but I love Christ. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Ladies and gentlemen, you cannot impart that which you do not possess unless the word of God is alive in your heart and you are practicing it with the people of God. You will never be able to bring those children up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. You will give them a form of Christianity. You will inoculate them with a mild case of Christianity, but you will keep them from getting the real disease. The first influence in Timothy's life was a mother and grandmother who were committed to teaching him God's Word. And if we want godly children, it's critical that we too be committed to Christ. In the book of Romans, Paul reminds us that faith comes through the Word of Christ. And the more we know God's Word, and the more our children know His Word, the greater will be both our and their faith. 
If you would like a copy of today's message, A Look at the Making of a Man of God, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and request message 2TM1. Tomorrow we conclude our introduction to 2 Timothy. We hope you'll join us then when we search the scriptures. Music